Good morning, Melbourne, and welcome to Behind the Lights with me, Seb. And me, Jono. As always, we pay respect to the traditional custodians of the land we're coming from, the Gadigal people of the Aurora Nation. On to another busy sporting week, Jono. Um, Headlined by the NRL preliminary finals over the weekend, uh, South Sydney defeated Manly 36 points to 16 on Friday night up at Suncorp, while Penrith won a titanic clash against Melbourne 10 points to 6 on Saturday afternoon, again up in Brisbane. Jono, two differing finals here. South Sydney attacking threat just proved a little bit too good for Manly, while the Penrith-Melbourne game uh, was a typical and uh, I guess we predicted a really tight game and that's what we that's what they both teams produced um, on Saturday afternoon. Yeah, I mean, I guess looking at both games, both games were great um, in its own right, but uh, looking at that first one as well, that South Sydney versus Manly game, as you said, South Sydney were just too strong in the night. Um, they're forcing a lot of errors there from from Manly as well. And, you know, just as well as you, you, you know, you could have thought that um, the game was going to kind of get a little bit closer because South Sydney came out to a great, great start. It just seems like those little mistakes kind of came back and haunted Manly. A couple of tries were overturned as well, where they could have been able to come back into the game. But then it just started adding up where it just seemed like that the Rabbitohs were too strong in the night. Um, and like I said as well, just forcing a lot of a lot of errors there from Manly. So unfortunately, it wasn't Manly's night, but great job from South Sydney. And then you also look at that Penrith game. Uh, that was just a great game all up. Uh, I think the biggest thing for me was Penrith's ability to stay strong defensively, I think was great because, I mean, holding that Melbourne side to such a low scoreline, I think, is a huge effort on its own. So great to see Penrith pulling that off. And rightfully so, I think that they were definitely the better team on the night as well. And that was the game we were looking at as well. As we said last week, that could have been the finals match. So either one of them are very deserving to be in the finals. And I think it just tees up for a great final series now to see Penrith battling off against the Rabbitohs. It's going to be a great one there. And I'm very excited to look forward to that. Yeah, in the South Sydney Manly game, Manly uh, gave South Sydney 50 extra sets. So it was always going to be hard to defeat a South Sydney team with such attacking verve. Um, as they do in that team. Also, a standout performance again by young fullback Blake Taff, while uh, Wayne Bennett and Adam Reynolds will be entering to their last game with South Sydney in the grand final. While the Penrith-Melbourne game, as we've sort of stated before, Penrith's defence really held up against um, a resilient Melbourne team who uh, committed uncharacteristically 15 errors um, in the game. But as I said, it was definitely a titanic clash between teams one and two over the regular season. The other big sporting occasion over the weekend was the AFL Grand Final between Melbourne and the Western Bulldogs. Uh, it was played over in Perth, so Perth's Optus Stadium, the first time the final's ever been held over in WA in front of thousand people, or over 61,000 people. And Melbourne broke their hoodoo, so winning their first flag since 1964 and their 13th overall. They defeated the Western Bulldogs 140 points to 66. The game, though, was tighter than that score indicates. For three quarters, it was a game of to and fro, it was dictated by momentum changes. Uh, but in the fourth quarter, Melbourne really kicked away and showed their dominance over the Western Bulldogs. Um, the first quarter, Melbourne really started off strong. But the second quarter, the Dogs came back, kicking six goals to one before Melbourne, at the end of the third quarter, kicked three goals in quick succession to take the game away 
from the Dogs. And as we said, kicked away in that fourth quarter. But Jono, a great grand final and a great spectacle to end the AFL season. Yeah, I mean, as you said, if, if you kind of looked at this just on paper and you saw that scoreline, you would have looked at it and said, oh, this was a blowout and Melbourne just ran away with it. But it was anything but that. Um, I think you said it correctly that it was a game of momentum. Melbourne started off so hot. They're so strong that you thought that they pretty much had it in the bag at the end of the first. There was They, they weren't letting the Bulldogs in, at any, at a, in, in any way. And then all of a sudden that second quarter just seen the Bulldogs came back and got right back into the game. But it was that third quarter which really just took it over the edge there. What Melbourne was able to do was incredible, um, in particular at the end of that third. And they were just able to then just run away with it after that. It just seemed like towards the end, you know, that the Bulldogs just knew that it was, it was out of grasp. Um, but overall, it was a great AFL grand final. I think, like I said, it had everything. It had the emotions of thinking that each team was going to win at different points. Um, and basically, just for me, the, the better team of the night won overall. Um, but each one had its standout quarters and um, standout plays as well. So great way to end the AFL season um, and looking forward to the next as well. And some of those standout performers were led by Melbourne midfielder Christian Petrarca, who deservedly won the Norm Smith medal for best on ground as he equaled the most touches ever in an AFL grand final with 39 disposals and two goals. While up front, Bailey Fritch kicked six goals for the Ds, while Clayton Oliver amassed 33 touches as well for Melbourne. While for the Dogs, Caleb Daniel was a valiant in defeat as he collected 37 touches, while Captain Marcus Bontepelli had 25 disposals as well as kicking three goals. So a fantastic grand final, as we stated there, John Melbourne um, finally breaking that 57-year hoodoo. In football, the English Premier League was week six and was headlined by Chelsea versus Manchester City as well as the North London W between Arsenal and Tottenham. We'll go into a little bit more detail later on, Jonah, with some of our key takeouts from the English Premier League week six. In the Italian Serie A, AC Milan defeated Spezia 2-1 and the game was highlighted by a first goal to Daniel Maldini, the son of legendary yep. Italian AC Milan defender Paolo Maldini. So it'll be interesting to see how he develops um, another Maldini in the AC Milan yeah. ranks. Inter Milan, Atalanta played an entertaining 2-2 draw. Juventus defeated Sampdoria 3-2-2, recalled their second win in a row. Lazio won the Rome derby by defending um, Jose Mourinho's Roma 3-2 in, in, in an entertaining clash, while Napoli stayed undefeated and top of the league, defending Cagliari 2-0. In the Spanish La Liga, Deporta Alavas upset Atletico Madrid 1-0. Sevilla defeated Espanyol 2-0. Real Madrid drew 0-0 Villarreal but stayed top. Barcelona returned to some much-needed form with a defeat of Levante 3-0. While Real Sociedad stays second with a defeat of Elche 1-0 in the Spanish La Liga. German Bundesliga, Bayern Munich continued their hot start to the by defeating Gruta Firth 1-0. RB Leipzig notched up a much-needed win, defeating Hertha Berlin 6-0, while Borussia Mönchengladbach defeated Borussia Dortmund 1-0. In the Scottish Premiership, Rangers defeated Dundee 1-0, while Celtic dropped their first points at home, drawing with Dundee United 1-1. In the FA Women's Super League, Chelsea destroyed Manchester yeah. United 6-1, with Australian Sam Kerr scoring a double. Tottenham defeated Reading 1-0 to continue their defeated start to the year, while Arsenal defeated Manchester City 5-0. Arsenal stayed top on goal difference um, from their neighbours, Tottenham. In boxing, English heavyweight champion Anthony Joshua sensationally upset, upset by Ukrainian Alexander Usek 
with Usek now crowned the king of the heavyweight division after he defeated Joshua in an uh, unanimous decision. So a big win for Alexander Usek in boxing. The Ryder Cup, Johnny, you'd be happy about this. USA ran out <laughs> 19 points to nine victors over the Europe. It was a record win for the USA in the Ryder um, Good to see the Ryder Cup obviously coming back delayed, obviously due to COVID, yeah. um, and will be played again in two years in Europe. UFC 266, headlined by Australian Alexander Volokhanovsky, who defeated Brian Ortega in their featherweight title bout. Uh, Conor McGregor had some interesting words to say as well after that fight with the way he tweeted about Volokhanovsky. So it'd be great to maybe see those two get in the (laughs) ring. But yeah, we'll see what happens there. In the women's division, Valentina Shevchenko defeated Lauren Murphy in their flyweight title bout. Well, Robbie Lawler defeated Nick Diaz, two legends of the sport, in their middleweight fight. So good to see UFC 266. Big event there over the weekend. NFL, Jono, um, week three. What caught your eye this week? Some uh, big matchups and uh, a few upsets. Yeah, definitely a few upsets. And as you said, another big week there in the NFL. I think just kind of starting off, my biggest thing is that the Chiefs now are one and two with their with their loss, their 30 to 24 loss against the Chargers. Um you know, it's still early days in the season, but it's just showing that the Chiefs have some problems and that they need to stop turning over the ball. Basically, that just seems to be a very problematic for them as well as they just need people to start stepping up on both sides. They need to get a little bit more solid defensively. They can't be letting 30 points in every single week. As good as Patrick Mahomes is, he's not going to be able to always outscore every single opponent. So they really need to step up. I don't think it's that worrying for them, but to get a one and two start to kind of start the season, not the best. Um, also this week saw the Bucks get their first loss against the Rams. Now the Rams are definitely a good team. I don't think that this is anything to be concerned with in terms of Tom Brady and his lack of production on the night, but I would say that it's a little bit more concerning in terms from the defensive side. Uh, the Rams have a great offense, but the Bucks are slated as one of the best defensive teams in the league. So I would, I'd be a little bit more concerned from the defensive side of things. And then just lastly as well, I think that this weekend really highlighted the pros and cons of going for really long field goals. So we saw it kind of started with the Arizona Cardinals kicker going for a 68-yard field goal, which would have been an NFL record, which actually led them coming. So that 68-yard field goal from the Arizona Cardinals kicker was actually short, which led for the Jaguars to return it for a 109-yard touchdown. So they actually were able to return it for a 109-yard touchdown for missing the field goal. Then what happened was on the other end of it, this is when taking a long-range field goal actually works in your favor. Is Justin Tucker from the Ravens hit an NFL record 66-yard field goal to win over the Lions. Now, it was actually really interesting as well. If you looked at that, it, it just squeaked and actually hit off the post of the of the uh, of the field goal there. So it was great to see. But again, NFL records. So sometimes going for those deep field goals can end in success or some sometimes in failure. But great to see an NFL record broken at 66 yards. Uh, for the for a field goal, so that was kind of what caught my eye there from the NFL. But looking forward to next week as well to see some great potential uh, matchups going ahead. Yeah, it's been a great start to the NFL this year. F one, it was the Russian GP over the weekend, and Lewis Hamilton claimed his hundredth F one win uh, by winning obviously the Russian GP, while rival Max Verstappen finished second and Carlos Sainz Jr. finished third over in Russia. A little bit of cricket news: India. Ended the Australian women's cricket team unbeaten streak at 26 games after defeating Australia in their third one-day game of the series uh, in Mackay on Sunday. Well, John, as I mentioned before, is the English Premier League week six. Some massive matchups this weekend and some massive results. 
What were some of your key takeaways from week six of the Premier League? Yeah, I mean, I guess the first thing for me, it just kind of put a smile on my face to see Brentford walk away, you know, with points against Liverpool, both putting up three, three, three at the end. Um, I mean, this is just great to see from my eyes, you know, you coming up and being able to compete. This is exactly what you need is you need to walk away from some of these big games with a point. Um, you don't always have to win, but as long as you can get a point against some of these big top four, you know, kind of teams, I think that's great. And I'm, I'm, I'm on it. I want them to now finish top 10. I think that would be great and incredible for them. So really hoping that they can continue this success, but I thought it was great to see them walk away with a point, um, against Liverpool. Then secondly, on the other side of things, um, I really stood out to me is this just Leicester is struggling in my eyes. Um, I think that, you know, this is not the start that they were looking for. I personally preseason had them as possibly top four. Um, I had them kind of sneaking them in there at my fourth position. And this is definitely not the start that they needed to start at. Um, I think they just need more production as well from the team as a whole. You can't always rely on, you know, Jamie Vardy for too long. He, he seems to be in great scoring form. He's scoring in most of the games but they need more production as well moving forward and just to solidify as well in the back. So I'm seeing that they're struggling a little bit. I'm hoping that they can turn things around early days, but these are the times where you can't mess around in the Premier League. Every point is is valuable as the next. And then lastly, it was just really interesting looking at that big Chelsea-Man City game and seeing how defensive Chelsea were set up. Um, And my only worry with that is taking that approach means, you know, you're relying on those two forwards quite heavily to be able to produce offensively. And I just don't know if that partnership between Lukaku and Timo Warner is, is there yet, where you know that they're going to be able to score in a game when they're playing together right next to each other. And um, we've seen the team, the struggles from Timo Warner that he's had individually. And then Lukaku has been producing as well on his, on his own, but together, I don't know if, if, if they're at that stage yet where you can say, Hey, let's go with an ultra defensive lineup in terms of the personnel. And they're going to be the ones that are going to be creating that offensive threat at, at all times. We know if we get them the ball, they're going to be able to score. I don't know if it's there yet. So I don't know if that was the best tactic going in um, overall. Look, they could have had their opportunities in that game. So they could have had their chances, but I think in the end, that was probably the wrong decision to go with such a defensive lineup. Um, but they do have those, you know, you, you will see what kind of happens now going into this next time that they match up together as well. But um, it was interesting for my eyes to kind of see that real defensive shape from uh, from Tuchel there. Yeah, it was interesting to see Tuchel go with that extra midfielder for Chelsea. Um, but in saying that, I thought City, this was their most impressive display yeah. of the season. They really stifled uh, the Chelsea attack. Chelsea actually had no shots on target the first time under Tuchel that this has happened. Um, so very impressive by Manchester City in regards to the press. Um, and obviously, as we know, they're so strong in possession, but and they made it count this time. So, um, yeah, I guess I think Chelsea will go back to the drawing board. They'll still be okay. They'll still be up there in regards to threatening oh, for the title, but a few uh, things for Tuchel to think about. And as I said, um, an impressive display by Manchester City. For me, um, my number one, First, I'll start with Tottenham, how poor they were in the North London derby. Yeah. Arsenal ripped them apart in that first half an hour. All credit to Arsenal. They, this is the most um, energetic and, and sort of strong they've looked, especially defensively. But Tottenham, what is going on over there? Harry Kane looks disinterested. Son tries, but he just, there's a lack of um, attacking threat in that team. Deli Alley looks like he's completely lost that, I guess, that ability and and to turn a game and sort of make those chances. 
Nuno Espirito Santo is under pressure. There's no doubt about that. But um, there's a lot of question marks at the time. And for a Definitely. team that made the Champions League final not that long ago, they are so far off uh, the top echelon of football. And the more you look at Harry Kane, the more he looks like he's just uh, wanting away from that club. So I, would be, I wouldn't be surprised if possibly City or someone came in January if he's still struggling at Tottenham because uh, they're really struggling for ideas and, and Espirito Santo can't seem to inspire that team. You'd think a North London derby uh, would be a game that you could get those players up for, but a very um, disappointing display by Tottenham. Another disappointing display was on show by Manchester United um, against Aston Villa, against a good Aston Villa. So Dean Smith's done a great job with those with that young team, considering they sold Jack Grealish in the off-season. The way he's rebuilt that team has been commendable. But for Manchester United to come out at home, um, they had something like 20-odd shots, but not many on target, shooting from all over the place. I just thought tactically, again, they were found inept. There's no real structure or cohesion to the team. It, it's built on individual moments. Uh, Ronaldo was very quiet yeah. um, in this game, but as I said, you can't expect too much running out of here. Again, the midfield was a concern. I thought defensively we found out um, that centre-back partnership didn't look as solid this week with Maguire and Varane. While Luke Shaw has gone off injured, so I'm interested to see what cover we have for him. Um, and then obviously the missed penalty at the end. Um, it could have been a draw. Would have, I guess, would have shadowed or come over a few of the uh, over the game for United in regards to getting a point out of that. But um, again, a very poor game by United and a massive uh, October coming up for them with some tough games against Liverpool and Manchester City, as well as obviously Champions League games. So it'll be interesting to see um, what happens with that United team in October. Uh, number two, great to see Raul Jimenez, the Mexican striker for Wolves, score his first goal in 336 days Definitely. in Wolves' 1-0 victory over Southampton after suffering that serious head injury. So a real good news story there and great to see Jimenez back on the score sheet. A great player before that head injury and hopefully he'll get back to some of that form, uh, both for Wolves fans and Premier League fans alike. Number three, one that may have gone a little bit unnoticed, but it was uh, Chelsea defender Marcus Alonso, the, uh, the Spanish defender, decided not to kneel in the usual, obviously, um, strike against anti-racism uh, stand by Premier League players. But instead, he stood and pointed to his anti-racism badge on his shirt. He did come out before the game to explain that that's what he'd be doing, citing a little bit of concern that the kneel, I guess, is starting to lose a little bit of its um, importance or sort of lose a bit of its edge in regards to what it's appealing against. Uh, so I thought it was a very mature way of um, the way Alonso has gone about it um, and obviously still fully in support of, of um, trying to get racism out of the game. But what did you think of that, John? in regards to Alonso uh, deciding on a, a different way of um, showing his support? Yeah, I mean, I think the the bigger thing that kind of struck out to me as you kind of touched on is that he just he did comment and kind of explain it prior to, um, whereas a lot of times you see somebody, you know, not doing a different type of stance or something along those lines and then having to come kind of backtrack and say it after the fact that it was done. So I think it was, it was good on him to kind of explain why he's taking that, um, taking that direction and also keep explaining that he is in support of the cause still. Um, he's just attempting to do something different. It will be interesting as well to see, you know, how that kind of shapes out with the locker room as well. If other players are joining him along that, um, or if some players kind of stand up against that as well and think that that shouldn't be done. So it'll be kind of an interesting dynamic to kind of keep an eye on as well as things keep progressing. And as the season goes on, assuming that he's going to be making that stance going on for the remainder of the Premier League. 
I think Alonso's point in regards to the knee losing a little bit of its um, meaning is something that probably will need to be looked at eventually. Mm. I think obviously sometimes it can just become part of the routine and, and you sort of lose sight of exactly why it's being done. So I actually applaud for Alonso for coming out and explaining his reasoning and yep. and he's not going against, um, he doesn't think racism doesn't exist. He's not, not supportive of it, but obviously making his own stance in regards to um, the anti-racism uh, comment and, and obviously trying to get rid of it in football and in wider life. So I thought a very mature um, act by Alonso. Jono, Champions League match day two coming up this week. We've got a couple of huge games which we'll look at here. Our first one we'll look at, Group A, PSG versus Manchester City, Battle of the Rich. <laughs> um, what do you make of this matchup and, and who do you see coming out in top between PSG and Manchester City in Group A? Yeah, I mean, if if we're gonna go based on the first display of seeing that Messi, Ronald, uh, Messi, sorry, Neymar and Mbappe um, trio, then I'm gonna have to tip Man City in this just because they have it figured out, whereas PSG seem to not have it quite figured out yet. Although you know, individually as well, they look brilliant in spurts um, as a unit as well. I think that they still need to figure out how they're gonna work as a trio up front, as well as then what's that mean for the rest of the team supporting them defensively as well. Um, so I think this game is more about how PSG uh, can react and how PSG come out. I think it's 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 going to be a learning opportunity for PSG. I don't see them coming out as victorious, but I see them attempting to try and learn from this and look more to the future than look at this game as a must-win, essentially. Yeah, I think Manchester City will have the dominance within that midfield, and I think they're also better defensively than that PSG team. But yeah. obviously, as you said, eventually... Uh, if Messi starts, obviously he's been out injured, um, so he hasn't had the the greatest start to his French league on career. Um, as I said, we probably won't see too much or tell too much out of these two teams yet. Obviously, still quite early on in both seasons, and obviously very early on in the Champions League. Uh, but it will be interesting to see how both coaches line up mm. um, and how attacking they want to go um, in that in that game. Group B is an intriguing clash between AC Milan and Atletico Madrid. Obviously, Milan involved in that great game against Liverpool in match day one. Well, Atletico Madrid have had a bit of a stop-start start to the year, John, both in Spain and in the Champions League, obviously coming out with that lucky draw against Porto in, in match day one. How do you see this game going at the San Siro? First game uh, back at home for AC Milan in the Champions League for many years. Yeah, I mean, as you said, it's kind of an interesting one because of the timing of things with, with what's happening at Atletico Madrid. I think that they're struggling a little bit. Um, on the field and just internally as well, probably in that locker room. It just seems for me, it might be some of that locker room dynamic might be going onto the field as well. It just seems that some of the players are just unsettled there and and really need to just get into the groove. So I I, I feel that, as you said, this is a, this is a big return home basically for AC Milan as well. So they, they know what this means to their fans. Um, They know, know what it means as a club. Um, and I think that they're going to come out for this and come out fighting. Um, and I, I, I think that they're going to come out victorious in this in this instance, just because situationally, um, the struggles that Atletico Madrid are having at the moment. I guess these are the games that you want Antoine Griezmann to really stand up. So yeah, I'm interested yeah. to see how Atletico Madrid, because this could prove a pivotal game in that group. Group F, Jono, Manchester United versus Villarreal. This has turned into almost a must-win for Manchester United after that upset loss to Young Boys in match day one. How do you see this game going at home for Manchester United? Uh, but a massive game here for United. And those superstars that they have brought in, Ronaldo, Varane, if Sancho starts, 
Um, these are the games that you need those players to stand up and really put in a performance. Yeah, I, I don't even think it's necessarily a must-win just in terms of Champions League, but I think it's a must-win for the club as a whole. And if you look at the results that they've had in the last couple of games, they need this game for that confidence. They need this game to start gaining that positive momentum again. As you pointed out, they, they have a tough schedule going ahead as well, just even domestically. So they need this to kind of get that momentum going. Um, and yeah, they have these stars now that they brought in for this reason as well, not only to win the Premier League, but to compete as well um, in the Champions League. You know, Ronaldo is essentially Mr. Champions League himself. He, he seems to always come up in these moments. So is he going to come up in here? I know it's, it's still group stage, so it's still early on for him to come up with these heroic performances. But it's really important that they get this win because I think it means a lot for Champions League, but it means a lot for them as a club moving forward domestically and internationally as well. Also a huge game for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer in regards to his European pedigree because he hasn't had the greatest start or results in Europe, especially True. in the European, especially in the Champions League. So a huge game for Manchester United. Last one, Group H, Juventus versus Chelsea. A little bit of shine has been taken off this game after injuries to Paolo Dybala and Alvaro Morata will leave them out of the Juventus team, picked up um, in their win over the weekend. But, Jono, Juventus-Chelsea, um, a big game. Both teams, or Juventus coming off a win over the weekend, Chelsea coming off a loss. How do you see this game shaping up? Yeah, I mean, I guess as you pointed out, the big thing is is, is the loss in particular of Dybala as well. I think his form has been quite well um, lately. He's been getting into the squad. It seemed that we almost had that rejuvenation of Dybala. Um, and I think that's a huge loss for them in terms of creativity and what he does off the ball sometimes too. Not saying that Juventus doesn't have the squad depth to put up a fight against Chelsea, but it just seems that all over, you know, if, if Chelsea come out with that really strong lineup or even that attacking lineup that has a lot of speed and, and, and creativity and everything, I don't know if Juventus are going to be able to match that in this particular case, as well as Murata. That's a huge loss. I'm just having that kind of goal poacher that's somebody up top that's just going to poke in those goals. Um, so it's going to be, I, you know, I, I think Chelsea come in as favorites, definitely in particular with those um, injuries, but it'll be really interesting to keep it on some of the players like Chiesa um, among some others and Locatelli if he gets in as well to see if those younger, more creative players are going to step up in this, knowing that they need to fill the gap in the void of those injured players as well. But Chelsea just seem very, very strong and, and they want this. I think they definitely want this Champions League here this year and they know that they're capable of winning it as well. Well, as always, the Champions League always throws up some intriguing storylines um, and I see much day two. Uh, I'm sure we'll throw up some real storylines for us to discuss, Jono. Well, it's the end of the show, Jono, as always. Five quick questions I'm going to ask you this week. Ready to go? Let's do it. I obviously discussed uh, the NRL preliminary finals earlier in the show. So we've got South Sydney versus Penrith in the NRL grand final. Who are you tipping, Jono? Ooh, um, I think I'm... I think I'm going to go with the old saying that um, defense wins championships and just based off of Penrith and the defense they were able to put up. And like I said, the, the mistakes they were able to force against Melbourne, I'm going to, I'll, I'll tip Penrith in this final um, and just go with them that they're going to lock down um, the Rabbitohs there and then come out victorious. Yeah. I think I'm going to go Penrith as well, Jono in the big one on Sunday. Uh, number two, if Manchester United don't get a result against Villarreal, will they make it out of the group or will they not make it out of the group? Oh, uh, 
Look, I I think they should they should theoretically still be able to make it out of the group, but I, they they need to win. Like I said, they, there's a lot more than just this Champions League spot that's on the line for them. So they just need to win. Um, but I think that they potentially could just sneak through, um, just based off of some of the other teams in their group, uh, in in comparison to a lot of the other ones. So I'll, I'll give them that they could sneak through if they do lose, but it realistically is a must win for them. Yeah, and a tough look, a couple of tough games also against Atalanta coming up, which won't be easy in that group. Uh, number three, after Melbourne's drought-breaking grand final win in the AFL, are they now set for a dynasty of their own, John? Similar to what we've seen with Richmond, Hawthorne uh, down the years. Off, if they can put up performances like they did in this grand final, and even those those last couple weeks of the regular season, throughout the whole season they had a great great year. But then in those last couple weeks as well, um, they were able to create some separation there. So if they can continue that form and keep that core of a team there, yeah, I definitely think that it's going to be it's going to be hard to knock them off that pedestal. So it'd be great to see as well a team going from such a long drought to then you know making their own little dynasty of their own. I think that'd be a great story to kind of see and see unfold. Um, and hopefully it actually happens because I, I thoroughly enjoyed watching them play in that grand final. Yeah, we just see how they go in defending their title next year. Is the thrashing by the USA over Europe in the Ryder Cup a concern for golf? And I guess the Ryder Cup um, in a couple years' time, Jono, because it's a young USA team, some very talented players in that team. Um, Is it a bit of a concern for that format? Yeah, you know, I I don't know if it's too much of a concern yet um, because realistically this – I think what this is signifying in particular for the United States is that passing of the guard. You no longer see those, you know, kind of big names of, of a couple of years ago, of Tiger Woods, Phil Mickelson or anything along those lines. So as you said, you're pointing out that there are a lot of young talent um, and it's that it's that changeover. So now if this does continue, let's say for for into this foreseeable future, then, yes, I think there's there needs to be the concern. But I think that this one really signified that first real passing of the guard that's starting to that change over. And there's those young talent that's emerging. So it's something to keep an eye on. I don't know if there's should be high levels of concern yet, but maybe into the future, depending on how results go from here on out. And last one, Jono, will the return of Ansu Fati, so the young uh, starlet at Barcelona, he came back this weekend and scored against Levante. Do you think he's enough to inspire form turnaround for Barcelona and Ronald Koeman's team? Oh, I mean, look, he, he's wearing the number technically, that number 10 shirt to inspire that change. Um, but I mean, look, is he going to necessarily be the person to inspire it on the field? I, he can create some brilliance, but I think more so what maybe he's doing is inspiring the fan base. Um, it seems that the fans love him. They love that Messi almost, you know, had that mentorship with him at some point as well, um, as well, and kind of wanted to pass the guard on to him anyway. So I think for a club, they're going to put, they're going to put their efforts into him and making sure that he is going to be the star. Is he really going to be the key for them to in particular to turn around this year? I'm not sure. Um, but I think from a fan perspective, everyone's loving the fact that he's returned and they can see him as the future of Barcelona. So I would love to see it as well, um, but I'm not fully convinced as of yet. Well, great to see him back on the field anyway, um, yep. after obviously that serious knee. Well, that brings to the end another episode of Behind the Lights with me, Seb. And me, Jono. As always, thank you for your support and good night. Good night.